Welcome, everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. I am so happy to be here today, to be in this pulpit preaching. So glad to be with you. I love you so much. I'm a blessed man. It's Christmas week. It's the Sunday right before Christmas. Uh, this coming week, we'll have my favorite service of the entire year, and that is Christmas Eve. This year, we're having two Christmas Eve services. What could be better than that? Maybe three Christmas Eve? No, two. Please, no. Two Christmas Eve services, 6 o'clock and 11.15. There's Still both pajama services because I know people, I am married to a woman who's in her pajamas by 6 o'clock. So I know that 6 o'clock for you is still pushing it for some of you. Uh, 6 o'clock on Christmas Eve, also 11.15. Identical services, 45 minutes long. We just want to make sure that we ring Christmas in with celebration and with praise for the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't miss that. Invite people. It's going to be a great night. Cafe guys, we love you so much. Merry Christmas to you as well. All of you open your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Anybody know what these are? Anybody know what this is? Science geeks, nerd alert, you might know what these are. Anybody ever seen these? Know what these are? These are called, just guess what they're called. The golden records. Yeah, they're the golden records. These actually golden records were placed aboard the Voyager 1 spacecraft back in 1977. Okay, 1977. NASA, in a recent report from NASA, it is estimated that, that there are 8.8 billion planets in our galaxy. 8.8 billion planets in our galaxy who would be more or less like Earth. So not just 8.8 billion planets, but of all of the planets just in our galaxy, just in our neighborhood, you understand? About 8.8 billion are probably around a star, something about like our sun, about the distance that, that Earth is from, from the sun. So about 8.8 billion planets that they call in the Goldilocks zone. In other words, it wouldn't be too hot, it wouldn't be too cold, it would be just right for life. Yeah. So... That's just amazing. 8.8 billion planets just in our corner of the galaxy where the conditions might be right for life. So with that in mind, we're always interested in, in who might be out there, what might be out there, and how we could communicate with them. So in 1977, when they sent the Voyager spacecraft out, they included the golden record, the sounds of Earth. Okay, these are scientists, uh, but, but bear with me. The sounds of earth, it's, it's a record, y'all. <laughs> they put a record on there. You know, for aliens that might have a record player. You, you, you understand? <laughs> They're scientists, but their hearts were in the right place. The sounds of earth includes sounds of earth, bird sounds, and, and animal sounds. The sounds of the great whales in the ocean. You understand? So an alien with a record player could hear that. The sounds of the, of the whales. I mean, it's amazing. With that, uh, greetings from earth in 55 languages. Bonjour. You understand? 55 languages, greetings from earth. And, and, and then on top of that, 90 minutes of music for aliens that have a record player, you understand? 90 minutes of music. They included Bach and Beethoven and Chuck Berry, Johnny Be Good. <laughs> well, but understand, they didn't have Miley Cyrus in 1977, you, you know, so, so that they would know that there's intelligent life here. 
You know, we would put, no, it was 1977. I mean, they still could have put, um, like Kenny Rogers, you picked a fine time to leave me Lucille. I mean, they could have put that on there, but, but, but they did not. They could have put Bee Gees, Andy Gibbs. You know, that they could have put uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band, I'm Your Boogeyman. You know, that, that could have been on there. Uh, today we would probably put uh, Adele, you know, hello. You know, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> hello from the other side. That would be so good. Uh, but it was 1977. None of those options were available. So they got whale sounds and bird sounds and uh, Johnny Be Good. How do you even explain this, this desire, uh, as corny and strange as it sounds, this is the cover of the record, that they're trying here to show them how to play the record, how to, and you know, God help them, I mean, this is the instructions how to spin the record, and apparently, uh, if you're really, really smart alien, these dashes and lines right here would tell you how, you know, that it's supposed to be spun at 33, you know, I don't understand how that is, here's a, an actual map to our galaxy. I don't know how that would help them either. Uh, this must be a hydrogen molecule trying somehow to communicate. Now, it seems slim, the odds that, you know, any alien's ever going to find this, you know, and, and, and have a record player. But, but still, it's this incredible desire in the human heart to, to communicate. If there's anything, anybody out there that might appreciate Johnny Be Good, you know, we, we want to give it to them. We want them to know us and understand us and maybe even come visit us. It's, it's human nature to want to connect. And you have to ask yourself, where does that come from? Where does this desire to know and be known and to share and to help people understand us, where does that come from? Well, I would like to suggest to you that that comes from the God in whose nature we have been created. We come from a God, the maker of, of all of this. Understand, before there was stardust or subatomic particles or, or the universe, the multiverse, however you want to think of it, before there was any of that, there was only and always God. Always and only God. And God is a God who wants to communicate, who wants us to understand him. But how could we ever understand him? He is so far beyond us. We have nothing in common. There would be no way for us to understand, even if he began to speak, how could we possibly know his mind? How could we possibly understand his vastness? He is the maker of everything. And this is the amazing thing. He has reached out to us. He has taken the initiative. He has sent us a message. And the message is himself. Now, this is Christmas. I know it doesn't sound like Christmas to some of you, but this is what Christmas is about. And I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. If you don't understand, then stay with me. I want you to understand this is Christmas. What I'm reading to you is about Christmas. John chapter 1. Let's begin together. In the beginning, the Word 
already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now, God sent a man, John the baptizer, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, but even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became flesh. The Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory. The glory of the Father's one and only Son. While your Bibles are open, uh, turn back to Matthew. If, if you're new to the Bible, it's just a couple of pages back. The Gospel of Matthew is the beginning of the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, here's a good chance to get one out of the pew right in front of you or slot it off your neighbor's lap, whatever you have to do. Do what you got to do. Uh, get a Bible in front of you. Open to the Gospel of Matthew. This is the beginning of what we call the New Testament, the, the, the new promise, the new covenant. Matthew, just take a look at this. Now, the New Testament is all about Jesus, and, and it begins, the New Testament itself begins with four books. So they're little bitty books, but we call them books. The first four books of the New Testament are called what? Gospels. They're called Gospels. Now, there is the Gospel, which is the good news about Jesus, but we also call these first four books Gospels. These are Gospels written by four different men. The first one is the Gospel of Matthew, which means a man named Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Now understand, let's look closely just while you're there. Look at how Matthew begins his Gospel. Now Matthew's going to tell you the good news about Jesus. That's what Gospel means, good news. It's about Jesus. When Matthew wants to tell you about Jesus, how does he begin? Where does he start the story about Jesus? If you're going to understand Jesus according to Matthew, then you need to go to what? Yeah, there's a genealogy. It's, it's like the family tree. It's like the, your family Bible where your great-great-grandma used to write down everybody's name, who the grandparents and the father of this one and the father of this one, and all the way back to your family tree. Yeah, in Logan County, you know that the trees don't fork, but, but in other places, in other places, uh, you have Abraham, the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob. You have this long, long genealogy, which takes us all the way in, in verse 16 to whom? A man named Jacob, who was the father of 
Joseph, yeah. And Joseph was the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus. So notice that Matthew, in order to understand who Jesus is, he wants to trace Jesus' family tree, the genealogy. And the important thing here is that Jesus' genealogy goes back to King David. He wants you to understand that Jesus is in the line, the, the, the royal lineage of King David, the, the greatest Jewish king ever. Prophecies had foretold that the Messiah would come from the line of David. So obviously that's Matthew's concern to make sure that you understand Jesus by understanding the line through which he, he emerges. From there, we have the way the angel appears to Joseph to tell Joseph about the baby and how the baby was born of a virgin. And then, of course, in Matthew chapter 2, we have the coming of the magi, the, the, the kings. That's the way Matthew introduces the good news of Jesus. Now, flip over to the next little book called Mark. Mark. Now, Mark knows the Christmas story. We know he does. Mark knows it, but he ain't got time for it. Mark is the shortest gospel. It's the most brief. And Mark's going to make a beeline to the cross because according to Mark, if you want to understand Jesus, you just got to get to the cross. And he's right. He's right. So Mark does not have time for a Christmas story. He is making a beeline to the cross. And so where does he start his whole gospel? The good news of Jesus begins for Mark where? John the baptizer, yeah, Jesus' baptism. When Mark starts the story, Jesus is already 30 years old and beginning his public ministry. Like I say, we're making a beeline to the cross with Mark, and that's exactly what he does. The next little book is called Luke. Go to Luke. Now, if you really want the Christmas story like in the Charlie Brown Christmas and, and, and the stories that you're familiar with, you probably will go to Luke. Now, Luke also starts with John the baptizer, but not John the baptizer baptizing, John the baptizer the fetus. Understand? Luke's going to tell you the story of where John the Baptist comes from, his mother, his father. And then Luke's going to tell you the story of how the angel appears to Mary, the girl, and and explains to Mary that she's going to be with child and have the baby who will be the son of God. Understand that. Mary sings a marvelous song in Luke chapter 1. Then in Luke chapter 2, what happens? Yeah, the whole story of Jesus being born and laid in a manger, no room for them in the inn. There was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. It's the whole Charlie Brown Christmas. All of that is right there in Luke chapter 2, the shepherds and the angels and, and so forth. So go to the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. That's where we just were. Now John knows all of that. John knows the Christmas story. John knows about Bethlehem. John knows about John the Baptist. He knows all of that. He knows everything that the other three guys knew. And yet, John doesn't give us anything like that. He does not give us a a Christmas story like you're expecting. He doesn't tell you about Bethlehem. He doesn't tell you about Mary. He doesn't tell you about angels or shepherds or kings or anything like that. John doesn't give you anything like that. Why not? Because very, very truly, according to John and according to Scripture, to understand who Jesus is, you don't start in Bethlehem. You've got to go back to Genesis. With me. 
John chapter 1, verse 1. What are the first words of John chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning. In the beginning. Now, John knows what he's doing. He assumes that if you know anything, you know how Genesis starts. And the first words of the Old Testament, the first words of the book of Genesis are, in the beginning, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Now, John was one of Jesus' disciples. According to the Gospels that we read in the New Testament, John was perhaps Jesus' best friend on earth. He's the disciple that Jesus loved, it says. He loved them all. But but, there must have been something special about John. John knew him well. And John would have walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus, intimately sharing for, for over three years. You understand that? But in those three years, it wasn't just John. It was all of those who knew Jesus, all of those closest to Jesus. It was very, very difficult to grasp exactly who Jesus was, who Jesus is. Hard to understand because it's truly beyond our understanding. Now, Jesus in his life, Jesus in his teachings, he, 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 he tried to reveal who he was through his words, through his actions, but still... Very, very difficult. It took John and the disciples uh, years to, to finally grasp exactly who Jesus is. So when John writes his gospel for you and me, he wants to make sure that it doesn't take us so long. He wants you to get it in three verses. You understand? It took him three years. You're going to know in three verses. So he goes back to Genesis. Do you understand who Jesus is? You don't start in Bethlehem. You start in Genesis. In the beginning... The Word already existed. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. Okay, go back to Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Remember in the Genesis story, it is God who is the creator. Remember, before anything else, before there's stardust and subatomic particles, there was and always only God. And God spoke everything else into existence. That's the key. God spoke everything into existence. In the book of Genesis, God just merely has to speak. He doesn't have to roll up his sleeves like the song says. He doesn't have to clear his throat. You understand? All he has to do is speak. All he has to do is want. God is God, all-powerful, almighty. And it is God who simply speaks a word. And everything that is explodes into existence. Everything explodes out of nothingness. Do you get that? With simply his word. This is his power. Just simply his word. God's word is creative. God's word is powerful. And God's word was that in the book of Genesis from which everything else comes. So John wants you to understand who Jesus is by, by drawing that line back to Genesis. And so he calls Jesus the word. In the beginning was the word. So he understands something about what you know about Genesis, and he's hoping to to draw on that. In the beginning was the the word. You remember how God created and how God created everything with his word. So John calls Jesus the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
So he wants you to know right from the start, Jesus is God. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, we could say, in human form, but that's not where Jesus has his beginning. Jesus is not like any other human baby born. And so you cannot begin his story by going back to his place of earthly birth. You have to go back to Genesis because this is God we're talking about. He is not one that you can say had a beginning. He was with God at the beginning. He is himself the beginning. Nothing that is ever came into being without him. You understand? He is the one through whom God creates everything. Jesus is God. He's God. Wow, it's so hard for us to grasp that. We know that there's only one God. There's not a pantheon of gods in glory. It's not like that. So how can we say that the God is God and, and Jesus is God too? How does that work? He's with God, but he is God. I don't know, it's actually very, very difficult for us to grasp how there's only one God, one being that is God, but that this God exists in somehow multiple persons. God the Father, we say, God the Son, we say, and the third person, God the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That There are three persons, we say, and yet still only one God. We can't say that there are three gods. It's not God and then Son and then Holy Spirit, three different gods. It's not like that. Even the words Father and Son, we're using these in a way that doesn't apply to any other human category. When you think of God the Father and God the Son, probably you think of like an older God and then a younger God. Hello, Son. Hello, Dad. I mean, that's what you're thinking because we're humans, But that's not what we mean. These are three persons, one God from all eternity. This one called the Son, this one that is called the Word, is still the second person of the Trinity from all eternity. God, he is not beginning. He doesn't have any sort of origin. He is himself from all eternity, God. The amazing part of it is that to think of this God who is one God but but three persons, it helps us make sense of what John will say later when he says that God is love. God is love. Understand at the very center of God are these three persons perfectly united in love for one another. God is three persons wrapped in love. God is one God. He is love. So John says, in the beginning, back to the beginning, was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. But Word. Again, why does he call him Word? We know that God creates with his Word, so that makes sense if you know the book of Genesis. But, but John's actually trying to reach the largest audience possible. So he uses a word that's going to make sense to Greeks and Gentiles, and a word that's going to make sense to Jews. And that word is Word, word. It's the language of communication. It's about somehow conveying a message, word. I'm speaking words to you right now so that you can understand in your mind what I'm thinking in my mind. The word allows me to do that. The word connects us with a message. So John is trying to say that from the very beginning, there is this God who, who, who speaks, this God who wants to connect with the message, this God whose word is creative, this God whose word is power, and this God that reaches out with words. 
And so here's the amazing thing. When God wants to communicate, God doesn't send us a book. Now, I love the Bible. You know I love the Bible. You know I read the Bible. It's the only thing that I have to preach. The only thing I want to preach is God's word, the Bible. But understand, when God wanted us to know him, when God wanted to communicate with us, God did not send us a book. God sent us himself. That's why John calls Jesus the word. It's not just that Jesus delivered a message from God. If he delivered a message from God, he would be a good teacher. If he simply brought, somehow proclaimed a a message from God, he might be a prophet. But that's not what John says. It's not that Jesus speaks a word from God or delivers a message from God. Jesus is himself the message. God himself becomes the message. This is what John is saying. If you want to understand who Jesus is, you have to go all the way back to God in eternity. God, before there was anything else, before there was anything else, there was only and always God. But that God wanted us to know him. He wanted us to know him. How could we know him? We are less than puny little ants to him. Did you understand? The the God larger than the universe. I mean, the God who just speaks and quasars and black holes and everything just explodes. Everythingness explodes out of nothingness. A God who's larger than all of that. How could we know him? The only way we could ever know him is if he decides to make himself known to us. And and this is precisely, exactly what he does. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and this life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Verse 14, so the word became flesh. The word became flesh and made his home with us. The, the, the Greek there that the John writes in, what he literally says is the word became flesh and pitched his tent. He pitched his tent with us. The word becomes flesh. We're talking about God. We're talking about the the maker, the creator of everything. He he pitches his tent with us. He he makes his home with us. He becomes flesh like, like us. How else would we know him? Becomes one of us. God becomes one of us. 
You know this is what Christmas is, right? You know this is what we celebrate, right? The problem is we always just tell the Bethlehem story, and so we tell the world about a baby whose name was Jesus, and, and, and that's the story, don't get me wrong, but if you just keep t- taking people back to Bethlehem, they never really understand who Jesus is. Jesus is God with us. God with us. It's just beyond understanding. This this God so great, this God so vast, this God so immense and large, this God who is spirit, spirit, which means invisible and intangible. You can't touch, taste, see. He's not material. He's not physical. He's He's spirit, he's love, but but he becomes what he wasn't, he becomes flesh, he becomes small. At first, this God who speaks everything into existence, understand, he he would have become a, a microscopic cell in Mary's belly, I mean, microscopic this 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 god this word that was the light of all creation suddenly slips into the darkness of mary's womb and nine months later is born flesh skin bones or organs this God who was able to speak and planets and, and, and the sky and birds and animals, everything just springs into existence. This God whose word has such power. This God becomes a baby who can only goo and ga and, and drool and, and spit up. This God of all power becomes an infant incapable of controlling his bladder. becomes one of us. This God who created everything, always and only God, he becomes one of us, which means he would wake up and he would sleep and, and he would eat and he would become hungry. If he's been one of us, the, that means he, he knows what it's like to be us. He, he knows what it's like to, to be me. He knows what it's like to have the love of a family. He knows that. He knows what it is to have the love of the family. He also knows what it is to be totally misunderstood by his family. Totally misunderstood by his family. He knows what it is to have friends. He he knows what it is to be completely rejected. He was rejected. He knows everything that we know about living inside a body. He got the stomach virus. He he got splinters in his fingers when he was working with the wood. He just knows. This God who stepped out and divided water from dry land, this same God is the one who eventually felt that the sting of tears. He, he knows, he knows, but because 
because he became one of us. Why, why did he do it? Why did he do it? He came into the very world he created, verse 10, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Verse 12, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became flesh and made his home among us. We, he was full of unfailing love and unfaithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Why did he do this? Why did he step down like this? Why did God, maker of everything, go to such lengths to become one of us, to pitch his tent among us? Why? It's simple. And this is the message of Christmas. Put this on all the cards, people. Christ became like us that we might become like him. He did this for us. He became one of us. He, 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 he became one of us, became just like us, so that we could become like him. This is what the scripture says. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. His own people, even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. To, to become children of God. Now, when the scripture says the word became flesh, that's important. That means that the word God becomes something that previously he was not. He, he was God. He was spirit in all eternity, but he was not flesh. He became flesh. Something new happened in the life of God, which is very, very difficult to understand or, or grasp. But this is what God has done for the sake of saving us. He became what he was not so that we might become what we've never been, what, what we are not. Do you understand? And that is the children of God. Now, now, the problem is a lot of us simply think that we are children of God. Didn't Ray Stevens back in 1977 used to sing, we're all God's children? Put that on that record. Send it off in the space. The problem with that is we're not. We're not all children of God. That's not what Scripture teaches. We are all made by God. We are all creatures created by God. But we're sinners. We're fallen sinners. We're not children of God. We're not children of God until something happens. We become children of God because of Jesus, because of what God has done for us through Christ. That's why the Scripture says... To all who believe him and accept him, he gives the right to become children of God. Apart from Jesus, you're not a child of God. Apart from Jesus, you're not in God's family. Apart from Jesus, you cannot know God. You cannot fully grasp his love. He loves you just the same, but you're not a child of his. Something has to happen in you. Something has to happen, and it has something to do with Jesus. If you are already okay, if you are already children of God, then God wouldn't have had to do all of this. This is dramatic. This is drastic. This is God going to extreme lengths for the sake of saving you. If you could have saved yourself, or if none of this was necessary, then I promise you God wouldn't have gone to the trouble. The promise of the gospel is you're worth the trouble. And you desperately needed Jesus. You desperately needed God to come down. 
you still do. Just because you send Christmas cards, it doesn't mean you understand what Christmas is. Just because you know the Bethlehem story, it doesn't mean you know who Jesus is. And just because you come to church and call yourself a Christian, that doesn't make you a child of God. But it's not difficult to become a child of God. The difficult part was already done by God himself in Christ. He is the one who came to us. We were never going to get to him. He is the one who himself became the word because we would have never understood any other way. He became one of us. He knows what you're going through. I don't. I can look at your faces. Some of you, I can guess what you've been through, but... He knows. He knows. And the promise of the word is to all who believe him. Believe that that, that Jesus, that, that this baby born in Bethlehem did not begin in Bethlehem. This baby born was somehow mysteriously, ineffably, this baby at Bethlehem. Is the creator of the universe. Believe that. And if you believe that, we're not talking about religion here. We're talking about something much greater. Believe. Believe that his coming has something to do with you. Believe that his coming has everything to do with you. Believe. And accept him. This is the word became flesh and made his home with us. In other words, he just wants to move in and live with you. <laughs> That's what the scripture says. He just wants to move in and live with you. Later, the, the same John, the same writer that wrote these words will, will write words in a book called Revelation. Words spoken by Jesus himself, the word. And, in that place, Jesus says, behold, I, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will, will hear my voice, open the door, I will come in. He came to make his home with you. And though he is God in all eternity, only and always God, although he has power to do whatever it is in the universe he wants done, he, he makes himself weak, vulnerable, affected by creation. He, he puts himself in the place where all he now does is stand at the door of your life, the door of your heart, and knock. He will not force his way in. He will not grab you in a headlock. He will not force his love on you. He's come. He's come to make his home with you. And now he knocks. Not just at Christmas. Knocks. Will you not let him in? To all who believe 
to all who accept him, to all who let him in, gives the right to be called children of God. That, my friends, is the message of Christmas. It is not a card, it's not a carol, it's not even words on a page. God himself is the message. Pray with me. God, there are people in the sound of my voice who feel misunderstood. They feel like nobody else knows what it's like to suffer what they've suffered. Nobody else knows what it is to know what they know, to feel what they feel, to be who they are. And it's true. As human beings, Lord, we don't know. There is so much hidden within us, behind us, Lord, that we're more or less strangers to one another, Lord. We can't know each other. But Jesus, you know us. You know us from the inside. You have become one of us. God. It is completely beyond our understanding how you came down to us. It is completely illogical to think that the God maker of our hearts now stands outside the heart's door knocking. And yet this is the message, this is the word, that God himself comes to us, Lord. You come to us, and you wait for us to accept you, to believe you. Lord, there are folks in this room who are ready to believe. I pray, Lord Jesus, that in this very moment they will hear and feel you knocking on the door of their heart, and they will let you come in. Lord Jesus, you've come to make your home with us. We need you. We need salvation. We need love. We need grace. We need life. We need light. Let your light shine in our hearts today, oh Jesus. We pray these things in your precious name.